At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We all have questions, and we're all looking for the answers. But sometimes, navigating the answers to cultural issues through the lens of the gospel can be challenging. Join us for our Asking for a Friend series, where each week we'll answer tough questions and provide you with gospel-centered answers that you can share with a friend. Winston Dickerson. I'm actually a campus pastor at Woodside Chesterfield. Does anyone know where Woodside Chesterfield is? All right. Okay. We call it Chester Tucky. Okay. So Chesterfield in Macomb, just around Lake St. Clair, New Baltimore region. Uh, so glad to be here this morning. And uh, just a really quick couple things about myself. I've only been a part of Woodside for about 18 months, but man, have I loved it. Uh, love John. You guys are in really good hands. He's an amazing, godly man. And I'm excited about this series because this is our opportunity to go to other campuses and be able to speak through topics that people are asking. So often we say, hey, is this a question people are asking? Because we don't want to answer a bunch of questions people aren't asking every single week. But this is topics. These are topics that people have been wondering, working through, asking. And so I believe this week is no different because this is a topic that relates to every single person in this room. And that is, how do we defend our faith? How are we as Christians to defend our faith against non-believers in a world that is so skeptical, that, that sees us as, as narrow-minded, that sees us as judgmental, as non-loving? How are we as Christians to be loved to the world, but also be truth to the world, defending what we believe. And so I think that's so real in our world, such a struggle we have. And so I think about that. I have a friend, and he is that friend who is a killjoy. Do you guys have any friends that's a killjoy? You're like, you're excited, you're pumped up about something, and you're like, man, God's doing this, or, or this is, the Lions are going to win this year, and, and this is their year, and then we just feel it. And like, nah, same old Lions, or nah, I don't believe that. Do you got friends like that? You got family like that? Okay, I see some people looking to the right and left, so I know we got some family members like that. Um, now we got some people looking up like, nope, 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 nah, I didn't do it. But here's the thing. Uh, regardless, you know, I had a buddy, he's from Boston, right? And he was a Boston guy, drove a car, you know, he was from the East Coast, and, and he was the skeptic. We played uh, soccer together in college, and he was always the guy when I would get excited, when I would be passionate, optimistic, be like, yeah, I don't believe that. I believe that's fake. I don't believe that's real. And I would go to him like, you are a true killjoy. He's like, no, 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 no. You just live with rose-colored glasses, you live in the world of possibility. You live optimistically. I am just a realist, right? I'm just objective. I'm, rela I'm uh, rational. And, and I think about that. It's okay to have a healthy level of doubt and skepticism. It's okay to ask questions if it's in the pursuit of truth. You know, if people are asking questions and they have doubts about God, about our faith, it's okay if they're looking for answers. 
And so when people come to us and they're looking for answers, how do we defend our faith? My hope is that when people come to us, when they interact with us, they see Jesus. My hope is that when an unbelieving world sees our life, they see Jesus. Whether they come from a place of hostility, whether they come from a place of just having genuine questions, that they see something that is different from us. Because people are going to have struggles, they're going to have doubts, they're going to have skepticism on the reality of Christ. And there's going to be people in our life who are like, man, there's no way that they're going to give their lives to Christ. That they're going to turn from their ways. There's going to be people that we think they're a lost cause, but no one is a lost cause with Christ. No one is a lost cause with God. And so whether the surveys say it or not, that that we're bigoted or narrow-minded or judgmental or non-loving, we have an opportunity to rewrite that narrative as a Christ follower. And so when the unbelieving world sees us, they don't see that stuff. They see Jesus. And so we're going to ask that question today. How do we defend our faith against non-believers? We're going to be digging into 1 Peter. I love Peter because we can all relate to him. We can relate to his emotional nature. We can relate to the anger. We can relate to talking too quick, Right? We, we can relate to him, and we get to see in this letter, just 20, 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, just the wisdom that he has to share in our life. So quick background to 1 Peter. Uh, this is what it's believed about 1 Peter. It's written to the dispersion of churches in, in Asia Minor. So south of the Black Sea, what we know as modern day Turkey. And when it was saying, when he was writing this letter, it was to the Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But it's been widely accepted that this was a Roman trade route. And so this letter was being delivered along this Roman trade route, delivered to different churches, different groups of Christians as they went along. And so as he delivered this letter, the the focus of the letter is mainly on trusting God through obedience. Because it's one thing to believe God and trust God, but it's a whole other thing to be obedient to God. Because we know we can chirp, we can talk, but it's a whole nother thing to walk in obedience to what God is calling us to. Because when the world looks at us and they see what we're saying, they hear what we're saying, our talk doesn't have a lot of weight right now. And so we trust him and we show that through our life that is obedient to him. So he's talking about that. But then he starts segueing in chapters 3 and 4 about suffering. Because suffering isn't something that might happen to them. It's something that is happening to them. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So he's talking through this, and it moves beyond the suffering into doing good in the face of suffering. 
And so because the suffering, the trials, the persecution that is happening, we got three realities that we are going to explore today. There's so much more we could explore, but we're going to talk about three realities that can help us as we try to defend our faith in an unbelieving world. And the first one is this. The first one reality we want to talk about is we are not to fear those who mistreat us. We are not to fear those who mistreat us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. This is what it says. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So again, Peter, in this letter, he begins talking about this persecution. And this isn't something that is, hey, this might happen. It is happening. And so when it talks about, now who is there to harm you, that first phrase, harm you, can also be translated, who will harm you, or who is going to harm you. You see, the sentence is a rhetorical question. Is there really anyone who will harm those who are eager to do good? Because in the world where people will attack Christians, they won't attack the good deed. Our deed, our good, silences those who are trying to persecute. But even if we are still persecuted for doing good, don't be afraid. Have no fear, nor be troubled. Why? Because God is with us. Do not be worried if people mistreat you. Now, now think about this, because in this text, people are getting persecuted. They're getting abused. They're getting killed. And so let me ask a question here. Uh, how many people in this room have had their homes caught on fire because they were Christians? Have we had anyone? How many of us have been physically injured because we were Christians? How many of us, someone tried to take our lives because we're Christians? How many of us, people have been passive-aggressive towards us or patronizing because we're Christians. How many people have maybe even just kind of stopped talking to us in some ways or created some boundaries because we're Christians? You see, our mistreating, being mistreated, might not be the same as what they were experiencing in 1 Peter, but we are being mistreated. So whether someone's trying to take our life, burn our house to the ground, or, or someone is being patronizing or gossiping or being rude to us, there's still mistreatment that is happening there. So our mistreatment is just different than what they experienced in the early church. And, and so in those moments, I think it's important to understand what Psalm 34 says. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. That God is with us in the mistreatment. 
He is with us when people are not for us. Who, who they look at our lives and they're like, I just don't believe that. I just don't believe you. And so maybe they get on the computer and they say something, right? We got some computer warriors in here, some keyboard warriors. You know, they talk trash and they, and they get on it. Maybe we get back on and we write back. And so I think about that. And really the word that's important for us to understand is the word harm. And the Greek word for harm is terasso. And terasso means to be shaken, to be disturbed, to be frightened. And we all know what it's like to be shook. We all know in our world, in our lives, times that we were shook. I was thinking about something. We're a hunting church, right? We got hunters in here. Right? I was in Louisville for the last five years. Can you say Louisville? Louisville? Okay. I know it, whether you know Louisville or not with how you say Louisville. Right? If you're not from Louisville, you say Louisville. Okay? And you hold your nose too. Louisville. Okay? That's how they do it. But if you're from Louisville, you're Louisville, then you spit in a bucket. You know? That's, and then maybe even hit yourself on the knee. Right? With a banjo. Okay. But here's the thing. I was down there for the last five years doing ministry. It was great. And, and, but my very first church I was at was in Pike County, Illinois. Does any, any hunters around here know Pike County, Illinois, right? It's hunting territory, right? I remember going and eating at the local pizza hut, talking to Herschel Carter. He said, man, someone's renting out my farm to go shoot some deer. I'm like, what, you're renting your farm for hunters? And he's like, yeah, we have the same people. They come from North Carolina every year. They hunt on our property. They pay for this amount of days. I'm like, okay. He's like, we got the biggest deer around. And so I'm like, okay, I want to see one of these deer. So I remember one night, I was visiting a lady in our church, and she was very ill. We weren't sure if she was going to make it. So went over to her house, held her hand, prayed with her, families all around, and it was late at night. And I remember, because at night, if I don't got my glasses, I'm blind, right? Especially if it's raining. I can see some of you right now, right? Hi, people in the back. But the thing is this, if it's night and it's raining, it's hard for me to see. And so I remember going in my car, I was driving a 2003 Ford Focus ZX3 hatchback with tinted windows. And, and I remember jumping in, going to get my glasses and realizing, oh, I don't got my glasses. So then I get on the road, it's raining a little bit, a little foggy. And I remember driving down these wonderful back roads and looking down for just a moment and then looking up and seeing this great giant buck in the road, standing tall. I swerve, come to a stop. It was looking at me, kind of mad, waving as well. And um, so I get out and I look and, and I turn around and, you know, it, it stares me down, then runs away. And um, it, that had to be more than a 15 point. It had to be. It was a big buck. When I drove by it, I was near its chest. And I remember just being like, okay, I'm a little shook, right? I almost had a, 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 an antler go through my eye, you know? I'm, I'm, I was almost a goner at that point. And I remember just being, needing a moment, right? We all have that. Moments where we're just, we're just shook because of something that happened at that moment. But then also we have times we just turn on the news and we're shook. We're shook because 
Russia invaded Ukraine. We're shook because of another school shooting. We're, we're shook because of what's happening in our society and with what's happening with our economy. And if you think back to your life, there were moments when you were deeply disturbed, frightened. There was emotional turmoil. And so that's what these people were facing. And it's important for us to not be afraid if someone mistreats us for our faith. That we should love them enough. We should love people enough that we're okay with the discomfort they cause us. Because we care more about their condition with the Father than our condition with them. We are more concerned with our relationship with God than our relationship with them. And our relationship with God says he wants all to be saved. And so we desire, even if our relationship takes a step back, to give them an opportunity to know the Father. And so we are the image that they see. Some of us, we're the only Christian that interacts with them on a regular basis. And we're a witness to them. We witness, whether we think it or not, we are a witness, good or bad. I remember a time when I was a witness. I was in an apartment with my buddies. We're right outside the University of Michigan campus, right, uh, probably four or five weeks graduated from high school. And, and I remember that my buddies, they were going to Michigan parties or Eastern Michigan parties. I had just given my life to Christ. I was getting serious. I was in my word, but we would get into it. Man, we'd get in fights over Madden, football, we'd get in fights over Super Smash Brothers, basketball games, you name it. We would just get into it. And I remember one night, my friend, he got heated. He looked at me and he said, you know, Winston, you talk about God, you talk about having a relationship with Jesus, but when I look at your life, there is no difference between you and me. We look exactly the same. And I, rem I remember that moment. I remember the conviction. I remember realizing I was a witness. I was a bad one. I was not showing them the image of Christ that they needed. It's so vital for us to understand that we will fail. But in those moments, remember, we're not going to be perfect. We're, we're going we're gonna to be in that tension point. And what do we do from that moment? What do we do? How do we respond? That's why the second point is so important. We are to always be ready to have a defense for the hope that we have in Christ. We are to always be ready, all the time, be prepared. This is what it says in verse 15 through verse 18. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ 
may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than doing evil. So we're, we must be prepared, right? We must be ready. Ready for what? To answer, to honor Christ as Lord in our hearts. Must be ready. And I think about that because when we're ready, in our mind, is usually when when they're not going to be open and when we're not ready is when people start opening up, right? It's like, man, I just wish I was ready. I wish I had a a better response in that moment. I wish I was locked in at that moment. And, And so that's why it's so important when people come with their questions, with their doubts, with their insecurities, to be ready to give a defense, Because I think about that, when people come to us, if our message about Christ is not birthed out of a life of obedience, then it will be quickly dismissed and cast aside. So be ready. I I heard this quote years ago, maybe you've heard it many times, by Martin Luther King Jr. And he said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Guys, in those moments of trial and persecution, it reveals our nature. In those moments, we should be bleeding Christ, excited, ready to receive that divine appointment. And when we're in that moment, we are to be gentle And respectful, because people will be passive-aggressive. People will slander. People will try to poke the bear, right? Try to see if they can get under your skin. Get you mad. That's why I like the words of 2 Timothy 2.24-25, that the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. That's the posture we are to have. When people bring whatever they're bringing, we are to not be quarrelsome. My preaching professor in college, he says, We've educated you, we've trained you, equipped you, apologetics, the word. You will be able to win debates. But when you're in that moment, remember, you can win a battle and lose a soul. Be very careful in those moments. Be kind. Be patient when wronged. Do not be quarrelsome. With gentleness... Correcting those who are in opposition. Why? Perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to knowledge of truth. That's what we want. That perhaps they may know God. They may see him, experience him. The word defense is so interesting. It's apologia, which means to reply to an accusation. It's like we're on the judgment seat. And we are to reply to their accusation. This ain't real. This ain't true. This ain't real joy. This is, this is control. This is for, for an opiate for the masses. This is for this. And in those moments, 
We are to reply to an accusation with defense, with gentleness. Jesus did it this way. He asked questions. You know, Jesus only directly responded to three questions. When people asked him questions, he he constantly deflected. He either asked them questions back, or he shared an illustration, or he just ignored it. It's interesting, right? When you give people questions, you make them think. You know, why is this real? Well, why would you say it's not real? You know, bring it back on them. Why would you say that this isn't true? You know, what, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, what do you think about Jesus? There's power in allowing people to process through their thoughts, giving them a safe place to be able to think and share and do it with gentleness because we want them to come to a place of truth. And people will be hostile. Again, they're not going to burn down your house, most likely. But people will ignore you, talk bad about you, be passive-aggressive with you, belittle you. And in those moments, we are to have a defense for the hope that is in us. Let's never forget that our desire is to defend that hope. And in that, when we're doing good, they will be put to shame. They will be put to shame because of the lifestyle that we live. So again, how can we defend our faith when talking to unbelievers? Don't be afraid when people mistreat you. Be able to give a defense. And finally, guys, we got to remember the suffering work of Christ. As we suffer, we must never forget that Christ suffered everything and more. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. Guys, Christ didn't experience the cross over and over again. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, the sinless perfection for the sinful rebellion, the righteous one singular for the unrighteous people plural, to make us alive. We were dead. And he redeemed our life, and he redeemed that with a cost, and he redeemed that with grace, and it's permanent, it's lasting, it's effective, and it is Jesus that brings us to God. And so in the midst of our trials, we must never forget, we must remember, he went through it. And then some. Whatever we face, he faced. And then some. Even to the place of nails and a cross and death and burial. So no matter where we're at, he was in the place of discomfort. And I think we're, we're, we're fattened with the desire to chase after comfort that we forget that God works in the discomfort. When we're in a place when, when we're being stretched and we're being pulled, and we're being challenged to step in places we've never been, that's where God works best. But then we chase after safe. We, we, we chase after secure. We chase after comfort. 
when that is a crying sin to God, when he wants us to step out. We love people, and we love them, and we love them, but there will be a place and a time where we will have to share truth. There'll be a time we'll have to be bold, and I get that. We got people that are going to be too bold and, and abrasive and too much, and we're going to have people that are too passive and, and worried, and I just want to, I don't want to hurt that relationship. I want to create a bridge, and, and we're always going to have that tension person to person, but there will be a time where we will have to share truth, where we will have to speak in love, and we are going to have to be patient, because when people see us, we want them to see Jesus. We want them to see our Lord and our Savior. That's the greatest self-defense we could ever have. I remember a story my mom shared with me, and this is when she was living in Chicago, and I got, a, I got an odd family, and my mom actually wasn't born in the United States. She was born in Bethlehem, believe it or not, and so she came over to the United States in the 60s with, with my grandpa, and he worked for the UN, the United Nations, knew 16 languages, right? And, and he came to the States, he took his three kids, and he left, moved to Chicago, and worked there till the day he died. And, and so my mom has this very Middle Eastern culture, and, and I remember uh, growing up in Chicago, she would share all these stories, but one story always stood out to me. It actually was her 30th high school reunion. And she shared that she was at the school and here marches in a lady and walks right up to her. Says, you're the reason I'm alive today. She said, wait, what? She said, you never knew it, but 30 years ago when we were in high school, I was walking down the hall, my head was down, I was in a dark spot. And I remember you stopped me. He said, hey, what, what's going on? I said, ah, I'm just kind of having a hard day. And you said, you know what? I'm going to pray for you every day. And I, I remember just being like, oh, okay, okay thank you. And I walked away. Well, the night goes around and, and I get to a place where I'm in a dark spot. And I decide that very night that I'm going to take my life. And so that night, I got a gun. And when I was in my room, I decided, you know, no one's going to miss me. No one's going no to even remember me. No one even cares about me. The world will be better without me here. I'm crying, weeping in my last moments. And then right before I pulled the trigger, I had it in my mind, someone cares. She's praying for you. She's praying for you tonight. And even the thought of one person praying for me helped me put the gun down. You see, in our mind, we think we need these grandiose moments for God to work. When we need to remember, it's not about us. It's about Him. He can do more with the minute gifts that we might think we have than an entire lifetime of sermons. 
He can do more with you offering someone that you will pray for them and then diligently praying for them. Because what's impossible with man is possible with God. We are just vessels, ambassadors, to be obedient, to be used. There's only one Savior, and and I'm a miserable replica if I try to be that. He is. That's above my pay grade. I'm just called to go and make disciples of all the nations and remembering that he is with me even to the end of the age. As Jesus said it in Matthew 5.16, we are to be light. I mean, it's to be a light to the world that they may see and believe and glorify God. See something in us as light, as salt, with gentleness, with respectfulness, with sacrificial love, with no condemnation. And then maybe, just maybe, there'll be a chance. But we are called to be obedient. We're called to not be afraid when people mistreat us care more about their relationship with God than your relationship with them we're called to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us and yes it'll probably come at a time where we least expect and never forget that Jesus suffered everything and then some with what we're facing today so let us be light let us be salt and let the world see us And when they see us, our prayer is that they see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our minds, with all our strength. That we love our neighbors as ourselves. All this we do as we depend on your spirit. Father, help us. Help us work in mighty ways through your spirit. Let us have a response to the world. Let our greatest defense be our life that is lived for you. Father, I know we are in a a room with many different people in many different places, but I pray no matter if we've been following you for 50 years or five weeks, maybe we've never surrendered our life to you. No matter where we are, Father, let's never forget that you are there. You're near, you're close, and you love us. You gave your very life for us. So thank you again for this morning. We love you. We pray this all in your name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.